Good evening, and welcome back to Meet You at the Bottom, a conversation podcast where we get to the bottom of top of mind topics with a drink in hand, of course. I'm your host, Abhinav Bramandam. Well, this week we sat down with my good friend, Kelly McCarthy. We talked about consumer behavior and consumer habits during the pandemic, and most importantly, post the pandemic. We touched on purchasing habits, eating habits, what the new shopping reality is, whether in retail or grocery, e-commerce, and consumer habits in the entertainment sector. Those of you that know Kelly know that she's very thoughtful and comes prepared, so it was a very engaging conversation. And if you're curious, she was drinking some red wine throughout it. I hope you guys enjoy the conversation and have a great weekend. Thank you and meet you at the bottom. And we're here with Kelly McCarthy. Kelly is from Darien, Illinois. Slogan, nice place to live. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Darien is a southwest suburb of Chicago and is a fellow Illini alongside myself. And then professionally, Kelly's based out of New York and works in private equity. Thanks for joining me, Kel. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. Second guest, excited. Yeah, this is, this is a lot of pressure for you. Um, the first one somehow went well, so it's really the second one that's, that's important. Uh, what are you Sink drinking right now? I've got a nice glass of uh, Cab right here. Oh, nice. I, I'm doing some summer shandy, uh, even though it's October. But I was going to say end of the season. Um, so I thought today we'd spend some time discussing the COVID-19 impact on consumers and specifically our behavior across a couple of different categories. And for the listener's benefit, I thought Kelly would be great because of a couple of reasons. One, uh, your professional experience in the M&A world and finance or finance, as the folks say. Um, and how your mindset is when you're, you know, analyzing specific companies and industries. And then two, maybe more importantly, your experience as an actual consumer. Um, for, for those of you that know me well, know I'm not the biggest shopper and I'm cheap as hell. And so maybe that's the Indian genes in me. So my habits, especially purchasing habits uh, and eating habits too, are a little bit different than the norm. So why don't we start with consumer purchasing habits and where we think the future of retail is headed. The pandemic has really caused a lot of consumers to reevaluate you know, their priorities, their behaviors, what their values are, their spending allocation. So I just wanna curious, let's just start broad. Um, what do you think is the new shopping reality? Yeah, so I think in terms of shopping reality, just like high level one, I think it's absolutely the death of department stores just in general. Um, it was already kind of a, a trend anyways, pre-COVID. And, um, for a, a lot of reasons, but um, you know, you've seen just one after another go bankrupt, and J.C. Penney, Lord and Taylor, et cetera, et cetera, just kind of continuing to be knocked off the block here. And so, I think that's just kind of in terms of a retail perspective. And I think part of it is because consumers care more about not only convenience a little bit and kind of the the switch to e-commerce, but then I also think consumers care about what their brands stand for. And they care more about, you know, supporting businesses and supporting companies that have meaning. Like if you look at brands that have come up lately, like, um, you know, Warby Parker, uh, Bombas Mm -hmm. Socks, everything is like this whole mission statement around like you buy something, so you're benefiting yourself, but then we're going to do something good at the same time. Um, And so it's a simple way for consumers to feel as though, I think they're doing something good when they're just simply making a purchase, like buying a pair of socks. Um, And so I think what you're really seeing is just a shift, particularly over COVID too, when you saw so many people go through really difficult times and brands trying to say like, hey, how can we make a difference? Or when you had, um, you know, everything go on with you know, racial inequality and Black Lives Matter, and and you wanted brands that actually stood for something and knew that they treated their employees well and had a mission statement behind what they do. And I just think that's going to be a complete shift into how people now think about how they spend and who they support. Because at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're supporting businesses by, you know, using your dollars towards them. And that's how you're voting, so to say, as to what you believe in. Jumping to brands, I feel like there, I feel like there's conflicting behavior out there um, in, in terms of the decision-making mm-hmm. process with brands. I think in one end, especially during the pandemic, 
it feels like trust, reliability are key factors. So consumers are reverting back to or continuing on with the trend of, you know, the brands they're used to. But then on the flip side, I feel like there's some consumers out there who are changing their habits and it could have a long-term implication just based off of value, quality, and availability. Like, I mean, we saw with shopping trends during the pandemic and that you couldn't find your brand and you had to revert to something else. And so that question of brand loyalty, I'm curious, like, where do you think that's headed? Uh, Because I think it's at an inflection point right now. Yeah, well, so I think too, you almost have to bifurcate it between the essentials and the non-essentials. Because when it comes to like non-essentials and, you know, makeup and clothes and and luxury goods and whatnot, that's just like a completely different ballgame. But I think when you're really thinking about the essentials, that's when it goes to trust, reliability, dependability, et cetera. And so like you were saying, like toilet paper, nobody could get bread in the grocery store. Nobody can get. And if you remember seeing those like commercials for Charmin and it's like them, you know, trying to empathize with the American public to be like, you know, we're working around the clock and Clorox doing the same thing. Like we are doing all that we can. And so I think at the end of the day, essentials, people are always going to go for what they trust um, and pay up slightly like, you know, you know, Clorox brand versus um, like Costco brand or whatever. If they trust that Clorox will always be available and it will always work or in their minds might like work better than a generic brand or like hand sanitizer, for example, like if you believe that Germex is going to be more effective than like a store brought brand and you trust that brand that it's going to help you through this time, then I think you have complete loyalty. It is completely based on reliability. Um, Like you shift to the value, the essentials, who is going to, you're loyal to the people who always, and the products I should say, that will always be available and you know that will work well. You shift to um, ordering from stores or, you know, doing pickup from stores that you know will always have your goods packaged right or be ready on time or be able to, you know, drive up to a a Kroger or whatever it is and open your trunk and someone's going to put your groceries in the car and you can drive away. So I think when you think about essential goods, people are completely going towards what they trust and what they've always gone to. One on curbside pickup though, I did go to a Pizza Hut and it was great. Get there, I call in, uh, they do deli- it. They had over Domino's? Well, 100%, 100% the breadsticks are phenomenal. Um, but you call in and they ask me, hey, do you want it in your trunk or what door? I just told them passenger side door. And it was great. They opened it up and put it in and I zoomed away. Yeah. But just a good tidbit, free ad. We're do- we do free ads here, free ad yeah. for Pizza Hut. Just wait until Pizza Hut actually sponsors you. That'd be great, as long as I can get the breadsticks. Um, the availability concept yep. with purchasing um, goods in retail, does that, is that going to stay or is it going to go back? Like, will I as a consumer drive 30 minutes to get this shirt, 30 to 45 minutes to get this shirt from the outlet mall? Or will I go to a Costco, a Kohl's to get a similar shirt for less of a price as a five minute drive? Or will you just order it online? All right. That's a good point too. Um, and, I, and obviously with e-commerce, that's a big trend. And I think the trend was there pre-pandemic yep. um, and was significant in the last few years. But I think it got fast-tracked. And I feel like a lot of these trends that we're going to be talking about and have talked about, um, there's so much change that happened in the last six months. Maybe this is a little extreme. I feel like it was like a decade worth or five years worth of change. Yeah. Um, and I read something somewhere where it was saying how it was like two years of techno- technological advancement and in, in the workplace in general in literally like two months. And just the push to get everyone to work from home, the push to get everybody connected kind of no matter where you are, maybe it would have eventually happened, but I don't think it would have had obviously yeah. we not been forced to do so. Yeah, and I think, I think two takeaways there. It's like I've read and heard about like the home is the hub right? Yep. And that's how some of consumers purchasing behaviors are taking place. So you're, you're buying more like services related to your home, like health and wellness, or yep. we'll talk about cooking at home a little bit later on, things like that. I mean, um, Home Depot and Lowe's, a yeah. lot of, like Bed Bath & Beyond saw its like first quarter of positive same store sales since 2016. Like yeah. ridiculous. It, it's just companies that you would never think um, that would be successful during a pandemic. And then you realized, 
I think also it's particular to caveat it, it's like people who still didn't lose their job during this time too. And I think when you look at kind of a grouping there, people have extra income that they're probably not spending in ways that they used to. So like gym memberships were canceled, going out to eat was canceled. Like, right. you know, your kids chess match it or whatever, like, I don't know, piano lessons, whatever you wanted yeah. to say, like all of that is canceled. And so people are then saying, now we have all of this time in our home. Like, how do we better our home to make it work for what we need it? Like everybody turned their, you know, garages into home gyms and like the spare bedroom into an office or whatever you had. And I think it was just a complete shift that no one expected for a lot of these like home goods stores, particularly like right when COVID hit actually did so well throughout this whole thing because people have nothing else to do too. So it's like, might as well start painting a bedroom or like redoing this project that we've been putting off for years. On that note, if I, if there's like two or three takeaways, I think longer term implications, not really takeaways. I think one frequency of visits is going to go down from the consumer. I think two, your spending allocation, like we discussed is going to go down. Uh, or not down, it's going to change, um, you know, value, convenience, av availability versus the premium brand and the must have, your wants and needs conversation really. And then yeah. three, I think that the basket, like your shopping basket is going to change. You're going to, it's going to continue to be, you know, your grocery items, it's gonna, your household good items, your need items, mm -hmm. um, but not really things that historically folks spent on like apparel and electronics yeah. um one would love to get your thoughts on that right there and then two on that basket curious what your thoughts on the future of beauty is yeah beauty products as a whole so i agree with you on the basket front for sure i think from a perspective of kind of how you're allocating it um number one people have just i think going through a pandemic in general similar to like, I'm sure how you were raised and how I was raised and how a lot of people were taught. And I think we grew up in fortunate circumstances, but kind of spend below your means and always make sure that you have like a safety net in case something goes wrong. And obviously I know that that's not the reality for a lot of Americans, but I think when a pandemic hits and everything is thrown into flux and everything is now, you know, a question mark, if you might not have a job in a month or you might not have a job in two months or whatever it may be, I think people are significantly more cognizant of like where their dollars are going yeah and so i think people are just going to shift away from saying like do i actually need this um versus or is this just a want and it was influenced by my lifestyle of being out and about and seeing what everybody else has and then wanting it myself um i also think and this is just like an aside and a personal anecdote but when i moved i was obviously in new york and then my lease ended in june um, and it just wasn't a sustainable place, obviously, to work from home and live from home and everything. So yeah. put all my stuff in storage, came back to my parents' house, and I brought some stuff that would be like summer wear or whatnot. But um, all my winter coats, all my sweaters, all my fall stuff, all my clothes, is just everything's in storage. And being back here, like, sure, I've had to order some things just because I don't have a coat. So that's obviously something you're going to yeah. need in the winter. But like, I think you recognize so quickly how little you need to actually live. Um, and so I do think people are going to take a step back just in terms of frivolous spending and, and be more cognizant of where their dollars are going. Yeah. And that is why I think makeup, beauty, and a lot of these niche emerging brands that we've seen over the last few Month, few years really mostly celebrity driven but there's still a lot of emerging brands out there i think it's going to take a significant decrease um in revenue for those guys moving forward not only obviously during the pandemic but not only a year after two years after but i think it is longer term i mean i read this mckinsey report uh before this that was saying 40 percent of the people that they surveyed would spend less on jewelry accessories yeah. makeup footwear and apparel too and versus what they spent pre-COVID. And I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, I don't know what the future of beauty is, um, but it's, it's in question, I think. I also think you almost have to bifurcate it between beauty and then like skincare slash just like, well, you know, wellness, well-being, wellness. everything. Yeah. I think if you look at beauty, like Estee Lauder, for example, obviously is going to see a pretty big hit, I would assume, because 
no one's wearing lipstick underneath a mask and no one's getting ready every day, um, you know, to go into an office. And sure, I'm sure some people are still, you know, putting on makeup and, and whatnot for the day. But the reality is you're sitting behind a Zoom screen and like it's far enough away where nobody can really tell. Um, and so unless you do it, just like make yourself feel like yourself every day, I think obviously usage is significantly down. So I think that that's going to take a long time to recover. Um, you know, I still think there are a lot of really cool brands that are um, disrupting kind of the traditional makeup space and are disrupting the traditional, um, you know, brands that are out there. I do think though that those are the direct to consumer, the ones yep. that are focusing more on how do you kind of capture an audience via social media, whether it be Instagram is obviously primary, TikTok, it's wild how many companies are now pushing ads through TikTok, which I don't even have a TikTok, but. Yeah, um, I don't either. We're, we're like, we're like old school in that sense. We're too old, yeah. We're yeah, like the 1980s. Those brands also feel a little bit more affordable. I think that that's something like affordable luxury in terms of makeup. I think that that makes sense and those will probably recover faster than other areas where they're charging you, you know, $30 for a tube of mascara or something like yeah. that. But I, I guess, think, sorry to cut you off, I guess my final thought on this specific yeah. beauty and makeup is like, I, the days of me or someone going into Macy's and trying, you know, a couple different brands from the mm -hmm. people there, makeup or skincare related, like that's gone. And so what do those brands do? Like what, what is their, or maybe it's coming back. I don't think it is, but what do those people do? People aren't comfortable going into those places, but then right. yeah. Sephora who has been successful um, and they are saying they're going to be successful post pandemic. So maybe consumers will just be back like nothing happened. I do think it's something where eventually it will be back in full steam. If not, obviously, if not if not, I think it will be even more significant than it was pre COVID eventually. I just think it will take time because um, yeah. it's going to require people to get back to their normal lives in order for them to feel that they need to go spend what they do on makeup and beauty. I think the thing that I almost wonder if it's more so, especially in terms of like going into Macy's or, or Nordstrom or whatever it is, Sephora, it's that you can no longer try the product because right. obviously it's dirty. Um, and so yeah. I think the question there is, how do you um, allow consumers to test something in a clean way going forward? Because I also don't think that fear of like, you know, touching a, a makeup, a something of makeup, a, a you know, block of blush or whatever it is that everybody else just put on or like lip glosses and stuff that are typically open inside of Sephora. I think it's going to take a long time, if ever, for people to feel comfortable like trying out free samples. It's the same thing at like Costco with like, you know, the free samples on every corner or whatnot. But I think that's going to take time. I think the need for it will always be there. I just think it's going to be a different way of delivery. Um, yeah, you're such a suburb gal. Costco. I've been to Costco like once in my life. We're Sam's, really? Sam's Club down in Central Illinois. For those oh. listeners from the two one seven, Sam's Club. We, we used to have a Sam's Club and a Costco membership, but my parents uh. lived alone, so it's like I don't know why you need memberships to two like big box clubs because you also don't need anything in bulk. So there, maybe <laughs> they, they're want. looking for the fruit, the fruit roll ups in bulk. My mom gets that from Sam's. It's great. I used to love those. They feel like your teeth are gonna fall out after you eat them, though. Yeah, I had four today, actually. Wrapping up on this segment here, before we go to break, I want to list, I'm going to list like three, four items. And I want to know, are you going to buy these online or are you going in into the store and trying it on? Okay. So, winter coat. Online. Mine would be in store. Pair of pants. Online. Mine would be in store as well. Eyeliner. I don't use eyeliner, but I would probably buy it online too. Okay. Well, I don't use eyeliner either. So that's what, <laughs> what about like a lotion? Online. Okay. I'll so, buy everything online. I mean, like for, for me, like a lotion or deodorant, it's just easy for me to go to a Walmart or somewhere and just go buy it. And yeah. you buy it online and wait 24 hours or 40 hours. But I also get cornered by those ads for, you know, like the new style cruelty-free brands that um, are like promoted along Instagram and etc. I get hooked by those. So then yeah, I want to try are, those these are more brands. expensive. Those are more, that's my point though. Those are more expensive. Are people actually going to buy that or are they going to spend a dollar less to get what they need in this time and post this time, post pandemic too? 
That's my I think you're always going to have people who have disposable income who are just genuinely interested in brands themselves and yeah. products, particularly on like the, I would say more like the, the health or the skincare side of beauty versus like makeup. I'm not really like a makeup person, but on the skincare side, I think particular being at home all the time, you know, it's never been a better time to like, for like self-care as people say, and like everybody has now focused on like a new betterment routine or like, you know, you're trying out a new lotion or you're trying out a new electric toothbrush or you now are doing, you know, whitening strips or whatever, like it could be whatever it is. But I think being- I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> I'm having I'm having more beer, wine, eating more, eating my mom's food. Have you tried any new product since being home? No, I just bought. I did buy a pair of boots two days ago, but I went to the the mall in Springfield, White Oaks Mall, which is sadly like twenty five percent of what it used to be. Yeah, be Springfield listeners. But I went. I tried on three or four pairs, found one I liked. It was on clearance, and then I bought it. Went home. I was pretty happy. How would I do that online? I don't have that satisfaction. But you can do it online because you can always price check against everything. You know what I'm size like, shoe you are. I can't are. try it on though. I got to return it if it doesn't fit. It's just tough. Sure, but if it's free shipping and free returns, you box it up, drop it off at FedEx and you're good to go. Fair, fair. I guess I did buy a pair of Lederhosen on, uh, mm -hmm. on Amazon today. So for Oktoberfest. <laughs> Virtual so, Oktoberfest. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. This is a good conversation on purchasing habits. Uh, before we take a quick break, though, where are you at on your glass of wine? About halfway down. All right, all right. Well, How about on your I beer? I don't know. Some of your friends might say meet you at the bottom here, Kelly. Oh, God. I don't know. Can I chug a glass of red wine? <laughs> <laughs> so it's up to you. It's like shopping online. It's that easy. <laughs> anyway, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about consumer eating habits. Ooh. And we're back with Kelly McCarthy from good old Darien, Illinois. Uh, we, had, we just had a good conversation on purchasing habits. So let's shift to consumer eating habits. And, and as we've noticed, the food industry has significantly benefited from the pandemic. And, and it's weird to use the word benefit and COVID-19 and pandemic in a sentence, but it's true. I mean, it's probably the single biggest industry with the, the most benefit from this uh, massive increase in eating at home, stockpiling, obviously the food service industry shut down for two months and, and places and even now are still shut down. So I would love to just discuss some of the key trends. Um, first trend I wrote down was a huge increase in at home cooking. Obviously, you live with your parents, but you see that with temporarily. <laughs> yeah, yeah, temporarily. Let's let's make sure the listeners know she'll be out and about in New York soon <laughs> enough. Soon enough. But do you see that trend happening with your parents and at home or with your friends? Totally. Yeah. So I think probably start by saying, obviously in New York, it's not really a place where people cook at home a lot. Um, like ovens are sometimes used as like storage rather than actually being used to cook things. It's a wild time. But I also think in New York, too, people tend to like, not even just in New York, I think no matter what city you're in, if, if you work a job that has longer hours, you'll either eat at work or, you know, going out to lunch at the office is a social event, too. It's, you know, let's go grab a sandwich or, or a salad or whatever. Um, and at my office in particular, it was very much so a cultural thing to stay for dinner, whether or not you had to stay super late. A lot of people t oftentimes did. But um even if you were leaving at 7.30, people would like, you know, we'd order dinner for delivery at 5.30 and then sit around and all, it was totally a social event. Um, and so I think the need to ever cook at home was just never there during the week. And then you have this mindset of, well, I'm not going to buy any groceries and I don't need to do that because I'm never eating at home. Um, and so I think when COVID hit, it was just a complete shift to like, that's not an option anymore. Um, and also I think it's different depending on where people went to, um, rather than being in the city and having access to um, restaurants and you know delivery within a close proximity where people would deliver via bike or car or whatnot. Like obviously being out in the suburbs and um, areas further away from you know a lot of restaurants and whatnot, like, your options are just more limited. So I think people automatically went home 
as everyone saw, everyone stockpiled food because nobody knew what the what the world was going to look like. And I think people were just buying things that they often would never eat on a normal basis. So when we were in New York, my roommates and I, um, you know, thought we were going to stick it out in New York um, and thought that, you know, <laughs> you and everyone else. Yeah, thought at maximum it's going to be like two weeks. And nobody knew if we were going to be able to go to a grocery store or what was going to be open. And so we bought frozen chicken and we bought like mac and cheese and like Doritos and like things you would literally never buy normally um, because we would just normally never buy those things. But also it was kind of like that's all that was left at the grocery store. But I think since being home, obviously that trend's just continued where people now are cooking at home every night, not going out. I think people are enjoying it a lot more too. Um, it's like a social event with the family, like cook together or grill out together or, you know, especially kind of once things started to open up a little bit, um, kind of like Lester quarantine, you know, you had barbecues in your backyard with your neighbors or things like that. I think the way you socialize totally shifted to being around meals at home versus going to a restaurant. Yeah. So if I told you during the pandemic, the food away from home declined 11.8%. Um, for whatever period, you know, versus the prior year, what would you guess during the Great Recession? Um, so, you know, 08, 09, whatever, what that percentage decline was? Four? Yeah, it was six, so close. But double the amount of food away from home declined during the pandemic. And how much of that is going to stick on and stay forward? Like I read this Piper Sandler research report that said folks are expecting to cook like 4x more meals at yeah. home after COVID-19 ends, after a vaccine, um, and like 40 plus percent of folks are going to bake more too. And it's it's a sticking trend. So I, I guess on that, on the cooking at home, like what do you think the future is of like meal at home kits and yeah. meal ordered meal, that industry? I've never, ever have used any of that stuff, but I feel like yeah. now it's a big thing. Yeah. Well, first of all, to back on the, you know, 6% during the Great Recession, that doesn't actually surprise me because I feel like the reasons for the shift is so different. Like back then it was truly people, you know, it was a recession. So people had yeah. less disposable income, less money to spend out at restaurants. People cooked at home more. That's, I think, a typical recessionary trend. In this, the restaurants were all just closed. Like there's literally like no availability for you to even ever go. Um, so to be honest, I'm surprised it's, it's not even more than 11%. That's fair. But it's continuing. Well, this is including now though. This is like, okay. up until, fair. I think September. And, and I think the trend is continuing. I mean, it goes back to the broader macroeconomic trends. Disposable income is down. People are running out of cash. Yeah. Unemployment's going up. There is no stimulus. So this is another industry that's going to get hurt. But on the flip side, like this meal, mail ordered meal industry, you know, home chefs, I think like those kinds home of chef, blue yeah. apron. Yeah. Like, they historically, like they were great and they had a good customer base, but they had really big trouble increasing their market penetration. And yeah. now I think this is an opportunity they would have never predicted. Yeah. I think also the issue here, and, and like you said, I've never personally used one of them and candidly, I don't know a ton about them. So you know, take this with a grain of salt, but from everything I see, I've read about it. Um, you know, I think part of their problem was just engagement and, um, renew, you know, kind of same, same, you know, same person sales. So people re, you know, buying or, or using it on a consistent basis. I think it's almost like a novelty, yeah. like, Hey, let's order this box. Let's give it a try. Um, makes the meals easier. But I also think, you know, you have to go to the grocery store anyways. It's not like that's completely replacing every meal that you're purchasing. Um, and it's not replacing the need to go purchase groceries. And so I also think the number of um, recipes that are available for free and sites that are solely focused to like cooking from home and Instagram accounts and food bloggers, et cetera, that I almost feel like those are all competition for something like Home Chef and for yeah. something like Blue Apron and they have none of the marketing expense. Yeah, exactly. I 100% agree with you. And I even noticed like myself in March, April, um, I found myself like calling my mom or my relatives and trying to learn a lot of these like Indian cuisine and yeah. some like traditional meals that we grew up eating and versus like ordering something online would have gotten me the same exact Indian meal or takeout. Um, you know, Pooja will kill me for saying this, but I think I became a chef 
during yeah. the pandemic to, until I moved back I'll home. ask her. her uh, yeah. No, uh, I also think too, during the pandemic, people's, um, you know, entertainment sources were so different than what they ever were before. And so part of it is like the reason everyone loved going out to dinner, obviously it's for the food, but a lot of times it's the ambiance, it's the, the company, it's who you go with. It's like a completely social event when you're at home when you also have nothing else besides maybe you were sitting all day at your desk working, um, taking a step back and like spending a half hour cooking with somebody or even by yourself, it's actually a hobby and like something people were doing. I think instead of just picking up a phone and calling, it was just a new thing people to do could do to fill the time and keep themselves entertained. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, people want to save money. People want yep. to avoid, you know, it goes back to the frequency of visits to, to stores um, people want to be healthier and, you know, people want to relax and it definitely does break up the day. Um, yeah. And I think from a healthier perspective too, people are just significantly more sedentary probably than they were before. Um, yeah. You used to walk to work, right? Or I would walk home from work sometimes like New York's a big walking city. I feel like Chicago's a big walking city. Um, and now we're not doing any of that. Like you literally could wake up, roll out of your bed, brush your teeth and then sit down for your day at your desk and like maybe take 20 steps total. Yeah. Well, um, you got to shower. You got to shower. Let's be clean here. Sure. <laughs> so, for, those, um, for those of the listeners that don't shower in the mornings, showering yeah. in the morning is great and in the evening too. <laughs> uh, um, good to know. The, yeah, I know. On, on the note of the actual what consumers are buying in terms of food, do we see the trend of folks paying premium dollars or organic, natural, or certain brands continuing. Um, I think this is, in my opinion, I think this is one of the areas where you would think people won't, but even during the pandemic, people are still paying good money for a premium product that is deemed better for them. And it goes to that big health and wellness theme. Yeah. Um, I think it's split. I think people who are buying organic before the pandemic are still going to buy organic. Um, if you think about the whole premise of a pandemic is this is like a, um, you know, a disease that's out there and attacking people. And if you have any pre-existing or underlying health conditions, it compromises your ability to fight it off if you were to get it. But I think what a lot of people don't always think about is your general health and like your, you know, if you're pre-diabetic or if you um, are overweight or et cetera, et cetera, like those are all predisposed um, or pre-existing conditions. And so I think what probably could, should have been promoted more during all of this is like the health and wellness side of it, right? Like stay active, yeah. find ways to move, find ways to eat healthy. Obviously a lot of people didn't do that. Um, and, and obviously for reasons we talked about before, from a perspective of like wanting comfort food and you look at like Campbell's and cereal sales are, you know, completely up in craft and whatnot. And people are going back to kind of their comfort zones. But I do think that, um, you know, people who were focused on their health and wellness prior to COVID, that probably only increased, particularly to like, I think it also stems back to your disposable income. If you didn't lose your job during the pandemic and you can still afford organic chicken that's two or three dollars more than regular chicken, you're probably still going to buy it. But I think yeah. if you did lose your job and you're more cognizant of how much you're spending, then that's a different story. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think you touched on two things like the continued growth of these established brands, you know, whether it's it's a Danone, a Nestle, things like that. Um, at the I do think it's at the expense of some of these upstarts that yeah. we haven't heard of. But on the flip side, and only in the food industry can you have both of these going up. I do think that these organic natural products will continue to be prevalent, high demand. I mean, it's it's like a focus on immunity. I went to, maybe a month ago, I was in Colorado, I went to a smoothie store with my girlfriend, and they asked us if they wanted us to include an immunity shot. An immunity booster? Yeah, and I was like, what the hell is that? And <laughs> when I first asked, this goes back to me being But then cheap. you got it. Well, I asked if it was any extra cost and they said, no, it's not. So <laughs> I wouldn't have if they, even if it was 10 cents more, I would not pay 10 cents for a fucking immunity shot, but I got it. It didn't taste any different, but I guess like mentally, maybe I felt like I'm more immune to right. something. Right. Um, and so I think that's an example of like, there's a focus on immunity. Um, there's continued adoption of organic and natural products if they're available. Yeah. And I think folks are still willing to try 
different um, products. Yeah, I think like one category that I just remember being so saturated before was like the protein bar space. Like, I don't know, I'm not a big protein bar person, um, but people who do like, you know, there were 7 million different kinds you could probably buy at the store plus direct to consumer. Right. Kellogg bought RX bar for like $600 million or whatever it was. But the whole point of that, um, or not point, but you know, the benefit of a, a protein bar was it's something healthy on the go, um, you know, quick and easy to grab, whatnot. And I think I wouldn't be surprised, and I don't have any statistics behind this, but if, you know, the, the number of new protein bar brands that are coming to market or the number of protein bar sold or things like that, I just would assume that has to be down. Like there's just less need for yeah. the grab and go type breakfast or, you know, a protein packed snack um, because you're always within kind of steps from your kitchen or you have more time to cook a full meal or something of the sort. So I think there are probably temporary shifts in consumer behavior, but to the extent you know, we get back to real life, quote, quote, unquote, whatever that might look like one day. Um, I do think a lot of the trends we were seeing pre-COVID will come back. Yeah, I think, I think on the go consumption, like you said, it's significantly down. Uh, but I think, you know, as we get back, snacking will continue. Consumers will still look for more healthy alternatives. But I think at the same time, um, folks will still eat at home more. We'll cook more meals at home. And, yeah. and I think that's across generations. I think that's Gen Z, Gen X, millennials, but as well as baby boomers. I don't think, I don't think those habits will change. The on the go thing, you, you reminded me, one uh, area of the food and eating industry that benefited from the pandemic is breakfast, I feel like. I feel like everyone and their mom is eating a full breakfast now. You really think so? Yeah, I think breakfast and I don't really like breakfast, to be quite honest with you, but I think breakfast is back. Like pancakes? Eggo, eggo waffles? Yeah, I think you sit down, you're having coffee. I, I drink bone vita, is this Indian milk. I, I drink in the mornings, it's pretty nice. And, you know, a bowl of cereal or something. You have a breakfast. No one ate breakfast. Think about your habits before. Yeah, Did you ever I eat breakfast? Everyone was out the door, even on time in the morning. Now yeah. you actually can sit there, respond to emails at your kitchen table while you're eating. Yeah, exactly. People have things, people need to catch their shift. People have things to do and you'll rather sleep an extra 15, 20 minutes versus um, eating breakfast. And now you don't have that transportation time. So you're eating breakfast. And I am curious to see what will happen with the breakfast space um, if that trend continues. Uh, but I do know one trend that has gone down is the boozy brunch trend. Yeah, Obviously, well, people aren't doing <laughs> that. You're not, you're not propping up the industry anymore. No, yeah, right. Me, me personally, we have to talk about e-commerce here. I feel like, and we, yep. you, you've mentioned it a couple of times, DTC, direct to consumer. Even the, the big brands are launching that, like PepsiCo launched like snacks.com. It's like Frito-Lays, yep. you order it. They sat on that, that uh, uh, website name for years, the snacks.com. Really? Yeah, they owned that URL, the URL or whatever, the domain name for like 12 years before they launched it. So does that mean they had, they've had this idea for that long? Or why did they wait, I guess? I guess. I don't know. But you can buy domain names. So they just bought the domain snacks.com and they've been sitting on it. I personally, I don't know when in my life I'll online grocery shop. But I mean, online groceries up at Walmart, Target, Kroger. Yep. Those are the big, and Amazon's like 3X. And like, I don't like, what do we think is going to happen here? Is it just going to continue to go up? Like, how do you gauge consumer satisfaction? Like, like, what are your expectations even going in when you're ordering online? Like, I don't even know. My whole thing about ordering online is one, like we mentioned, you just like to wander the aisles and like see yeah. what you want. The other thing is like, if you order a lot of fruit or vegetables or something, you know, what if that you arrive and it's like a bad batch of apples or something of the sorts, like you're not picking them out yourselves. Um, I think that's my only concern every time I go to order is like, who's picking what if they're out of a specific product you know, I can go choose something else I want instead. Whereas otherwise somebody's there, you know, like texting me on the other end, like what other brand do you want? I do think adoption though, like so many people who probably would have never tried online delivery service, um, like Instacart or whatnot, tried it during the pandemic because either they were afraid to go into a grocery store or they had a pre-existing condition or they were above a certain age or whatever it was. And then I think they realize how convenient it is and it's something that they probably never have to give up. The cost of it isn't significant. Um, 
And yeah. a lot of them have made it that way. So I don't know. I do think that um, from an e-commerce perspective, you would have seen it just pushed forth early adoption of things that, you know, gave people the nudge that probably would have never tried it in the first place. And that's the whole every brand, all you want to do is like get people to try it once, right? And if they like it, then they're going to keep doing it. But a lot of people never have a reason to try it to start with. And I think COVID in a lot of ways, whether it be online grocery services, virtual workouts, like having people try that, um, you know, giving up a gym membership or, you know, and, and going, like I mentioned, like completely online, I think it forced people to try things. And I think, people will stay with it that they just would have never expected to do in the first place. I I always think too, like the actual brands and the food themselves, like the marketing, you know, pre pandemic, it was really, you know, like personal connection related, like, Oh, I had a really good experience either at a cookout with this type of product mm-hmm. or at a restaurant with this type of product. And now it's the shift is very different. You know, it's there have to the brands that are finding ways to reach the consumer via social media or directly or online, or it's the brands that everyone knows about from right. when they were little babies um, are doing well. So that's going to be a trend uh, that we, we definitely will follow moving forward. Yeah, um, yeah I think the whole world is just changing in that front. And brands have to find a way, like consumers have limited dollars and they have unlimited options. Um, and also people are being inundated with ads from every direction, especially as like you know, Google gets smarter and Facebook gets smarter and Instagram gets smarter. And, you know, obviously yeah. everything you ever look up then is a targeted ad later on in the day. But I think as that also progresses, it's just, you know, that's just going to exasperate the way that brands have to figure out how to specifically target people in order for them to try it because their options just are completely endless. No, I agree. Um, and then lastly, on, on food and beverage, uh, the best topic here. Um, alcohol trends. Obviously, folks are coming back into bars and that trend is going up. Um, It's not going to make up for the losses that they experienced, but I've noticed a trend even with my own behavior. um, There's a demand for higher quality cocktails. Although I will say there's something euphoric, and that's the word I'm going to go with, the adjective, about going to like Woody's on Wall Street in Chicago. Pounding ten Bud Lights. Yeah, there it is. Pounding ten Bud Lights and watching the Cubbies or the Bears or the Illini basketball. I like that because of what's happening outside of the Bud Light. The Bud Light doesn't actually add anything to that scenario. Yeah, but I'm not going to go there and get, oh, can I get 10 martinis or 10, <laughs> 10 old fashions? No, that's not a thing. But if I'm, if I'm at home I'm, and watching the same exact thing, I'm not ordering 10 Bud Lights by myself or with my roommate. Well, it's also cheaper. Like a Bud Light at Woody's is what, like $8? But I'm saying that's that's the trend though. That's going away from. I think folks are, w- yeah. would rather spend some money on a nice cocktail or a good bottle of wine at home versus a 12 pack of Bud Light. Because hey, I I'm, I can't have 10, you know, buddies over and right. I just do it myself. And I feel like that trend. I feel like high premium cocktails have risen and have benefited from the pandemic. And I think that'll continue. I think folks will be, you know, wanting to try the nice bourbon or the nice vodka, things like that. You can buy, go to Binnie's and buy nice alcohol for a fraction of that cost. And still, yeah. I think that's why people are doing it. Like there's no upcharge in buying alcohol and making drinks at home. So instead of, what is it? Like restaurants upcharge wine bottles like three or four times or something. You can go buy an $80 bottle of like really great wine versus going to a restaurant and being charged $80 for a bottle that probably you could buy for 20 in a store. Premium cocktail. What is the premium cocktail? A happy hour party at Abenov's. Anytime. When I once not at my parents' place, so you can't can't drink here. Uh, only outside. At the new Chicago place. Before before we shift, uh, so let's say it's like 2022 or 2023. Friday night, 7 p.m. You're hanging out with some friends. Are you more likely to go to an Italian dinner, get a couple bottles of wine, eat, or are you more likely to maybe get these meal at home? have cocktails at your place like two years from now what are your trends I think I'm still going out I feel like I want to I want to be the party host guy I think you could be but I don't know that's that is where I I don't know where eating trends are going in that sense of meal at home if it's sustainable but I think I'm still more likely to try cooking yeah. and things like that post-pandemic um, than walking down the street and ordering takeout or, I like the idea of like going to a dinner party. I think like that's fun. 
would you opt for a dinner going to a dinner party versus going out to your favorite dinner restaurant depends on who's cooking at the dinner party i do think during all of this and seeing like smaller groups of friends and more intimate settings makes you appreciate like the good conversation and camaraderie that you can have um with people that you've just truly been friends with for a long time so i think i'd pick that over a restaurant but if you were asking me what i cook for myself versus go out to a restaurant i'd, I'd go out to a restaurant any day real quickly i know we're running out of time here um one other habit of consumers and we can delve way more into this and we will on a future episode is entertainment yeah um, i know you've had some experience but quickly you know theme parks movie theaters we already saw the disney layoff yeah. you know what is the future of you know like action parks like, where do you think is, where's that headed now? Obviously we, it's pretty bad, but you know, 2021, 2022. I think it will be back and bigger than it was before. Truthfully. I think that the trend of people wanting to spend money on experiences rather than things is probably only, um, you know, has been just further pushed along during the COVID pandemic because people miss those experiences. Um, and I think like we mentioned, people realize like you can live without some of these like quote unquote luxury items or frivolous spending items that you had before. Um, I do really think people will go back to um, wanting to spend on experiences. Um, I just think that there's nothing you can replace by, you know, taking a family trip to Disney World, for example, or, um, Never been to Disney World. <laughs> one day, one day, Abby. <laughs> um, no, but I do think, um, or going to a movie on a Friday night. Now, movie theaters might be, might be another, um, that could probably be a whole call in of itself. But I do think that people miss going to a kid's birthday party at like a adventure park or something of the sorts, or, um, you know, going bowling on a Saturday night um, at like a upscale bowling alley with wine and drinks and food and whatnot, or, um, you know, things like that. Top golf, for example, like that was huge before. And I just don't see that changing once people feel safe going back into groups. And I think that's the big caveat is, it's not before you have a vaccine that's widely available and also widely used that I think people will truly feel safe doing that. But I do think there's something about those experiences that people are always going to want to pay money to still do. Totally agree with you. And, and I liked uh, your phrase bigger and, and better uh, sound like the president. So you have a good, you have a bright future ahead of, ahead of you. Yeah, with well, I do think I had this conversation with a couple of people at work once and obviously just spending time talking about experiential retail and what's the future and whatnot. And I think the most interesting thing during COVID is like drive-in movie theaters, for example, like they were literally on their like deathbed pre-COVID, like nobody was going to a drive-in theater. And now it's like the hottest ticket in town in a lot of ways. But I do think the experience could shift um, and there could be shifts in like how people, you know, spend their money um and the different experiences they gravitate towards but like i think that could be a huge game changer um you know i was talking to this guy one time about like concerts like when is the next time you think you're going to go to like a packed concert um wrapping up here uh we joke about you living with your parents and everything what is one thing you appreciate and one thing you hate uh about living living at home um yeah. Okay. There's a lot of things I appreciate, to be honest. So I, I should caveat it by saying I'm, I'm really lucky that, you know, my parents are still together and I'm really close with them. And so that's been great. I think that like in any other world, I would have never had this chance to spend so much time with them um, at like this point in my life. Like the last time I lived at home was in college and that was like when we were home for breaks. Um, and so I think in all of this, it's just a bit of a blessing from a perspective of like all this bonus time that you would just never have gotten to spend. Um, so that's been nice. Um, obviously not paying rent is also great. And um, dinner's prepared every night, which is also great. Um, so what, what about something you don't like? Yeah, I think, you know, the social aspect of it, of course. Um, yeah. You know, I miss living in New York and, you know, I was in the West Village, I would walk down and I could go meet friends at a bar on like a Tuesday and 10 minute notice. So I think that that's been tough. Um, but I just remind myself like that wouldn't be happening anyways. Um, right. I also think it's interesting living with your parents. I'm 28 now that like at that age when now you have 
a really informed opinion of your own in terms of like the world and politics and your own path. And it's just interesting to kind of now live with them um, and like realizing, you know, their opinions might differ from yours and having kind of intellectual conversations that I just didn't have when I was 18. So, um, you know, I think that that's just been eye opening is um, just having those types of conversations and um, like really just seeing your parents almost through a different lens too. And it's been great. Like that's not really a downfall by any means. It's just been an interesting eye opening thing that I probably just never expected. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's been, it's been a blessing in disguise. Um, and then as I'm asking all of my guests and any bold predictions for the next 12 to 18 months, uh, nothing consumer related here since that was our topic. Mm. That's a tough one. Um, so I, I don't know if this is a bold prediction by any means, um, but I don't think we'll be back to normal life in 12 months. I don't know. If I, uh, I unfortunately don't disagree, but I do yeah. think there'll be a, I do think there'll be a vaccine, you know, by the end of the year, maybe. Uh, but I don't think we'll be back in 12 months. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. And, and on that note, my bold prediction for this episode is, and I have, uh, I have stuck through with this since probably April or March, the corporate world, um, this remote working from home, I think it all goes back to uh, how it was. Uh, I think at most we will work from home one day a week. Yeah, at most. I think it all goes back. We're probably in the minority in that, and we've yep. definitely had discussions and arguments with folks of all ages and all levels, uh, but I think it goes back to normal. Well, Kelly, this has been really great. Um, really appreciate you taking time. Thanks for uh, coming yeah, on. This is fun. Yeah, uh, we obviously this is Wednesday, October 7th, so <laughs> we're about to wrap up and go watch Kamala Harris and Mike Pence debate, so that should be exciting. Oh, yeah. Just, well, what, just what we need. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, thanks again. And everyone, until next week, meet you at the bottom.